Have you ever had a week that just challenged you beyond your ability to be challenged? Have you? Has this week been one of those weeks? Did you need to come today and gather and hear from God and be inspired and sing your little lungs out and just thank Jesus for who you are and what he's doing? Have you ever had that week? That's five of you. That's awesome. I had that week. On Monday, I got a call that my very good friend, Jay Tegler, 53 years old, my former worship pastor in Victoria, died in his sleep. And so yesterday, I went back and did his funeral service. His wife called me and said, will you come? And I said, you know, Valerie, you had my yes before you ask. I'm on my way. I went back and, you know, 1,300 people, 12, 1,300 people gathered in this auditorium to hear about the life of Jay Tegler. Jay um, was a musician in Nashville. He was there songwriting and making his way, and the Lord was working in his heart. And I flew to Nashville, and I offered him a job to come back and be our worship pastor in Victoria, Texas, a place where he grew up. He said yes. And then when he said yes, every person who'd ever been to a bar or a honky-tonk to hear him saying started coming to church, and they got saved. See, God can take a broken mess and use it as a mighty message. Did you know that? And yesterday, as we gathered again, I reminded them that this guy was a man whose life was built to honor God and how he wants to do the same thing with you. In the middle of all that emotion, man, I went to Kazakhstan with this guy. We traveled uh, actually looking at church plants all over the United States. We'd been together in many different situations and circumstances. This is my brother. And my heart was breaking But with a broken heart, but a tear of joy, I declared that God was good, even in the midst of a hardship. And I said this, and I'm going to say it to you again later, but I want you to hold on to it. The circumstances of your life do not define you. The Lord of your life defines you. Now, do I need to say that again? That ought to be shouting ground for some of y'all. The circumstances of your life do not define you. The Lord of your life defines you. That's a little better. That was seven of you. I heard this quote as well. In fact, I've heard this most of my life. It'll be up on the screen. Never doubt in the dark what God has revealed to you in the light. Have y'all ever heard that? And of course, we, we pontificate that. We spit that out. We spew that out. But have we really digested it? Have we analyzed it for truth? Is it just a saying like something you'll buy in Hobby Lobby and put up in your kitchen? Or is it truth that transcends circumstances? The answer is it's truth. But I struggle with that. Because there are many, many, many a dark day. And there's a few days of revelation of light. Maybe it's my blind eyes that need to be open to the revelation that God has for us. Here in Acts chapter 18, we're going through Acts. We're almost done. Hallelujah. It's been 13 weeks of Acts. In fact, I talked to a pastor the other day. He said, 13 weeks? I preached for, through Acts for two years. I said, I feel sorry for your congregation. All right. Here in Acts 13, 18, Paul is experiencing great adversity. We've been singing about that. Do y'all know that Dan has a creative team that looks at talks that I'm going to give, and he builds musical experiences to get your heart in tune, and we use all kinds of music to do that. 
Dan does that intentionally because he loves you and he wants you to have an encounter with God that transforms you. It seems that everywhere Paul went, he experienced adversity. Have y'all noticed that in Acts? Every time Paul goes someplace, they stone him, leave him for dead, beat him and put him in prison. He's shipwrecked. He's hungry. He has to get a job. I mean, all these adversities Paul experiences in his life. In this life, you will have what? Trouble. But fear not, Jesus says, I've overcome this world. And so Paul's experiencing this. He's given, Paul is given six revelation in the book of Acts. Six. The first revelation was the revealing of Jesus Christ to himself, and the rest were either for this, direction, correction, or conviction, and then encouragement. And I'm looking at the course of my life, and I know that I need these things. I need God to give me something I can hold on to. I need a revelation in the light because there's many a dark days. Are, are you with me on that one? So I wrote this down, and I think it'll be up on the screen. Hey, you guys can get the back screen working. That would help me. Knowing God's revelation will create a clear path. Conflict will lead me to trust God's sovereignty that will lead me to divine courage that will fill me with holy confidence and launch a greater commitment to God's causes. Now, that's a whole lot. That's a whole lot to digest. But So let me break it down this way, okay? Revelation will lead me to trust Jesus, will lead me to live all for Jesus. That confidence and courage, it comes from God saying, this is what I'm gonna do through you and in you and for you starts to transform me so I'm not captivated by my fear or my adversity, I'm captivated by my God who comforts me. But how can we get there? This uncommon revelation that God is for us and not against us, it's, it's uncommon to our lives. So many of us grew up in a system to believe that God was out to get you and that you need to make sure you're prayed up. Have y'all heard that? Make sure you're prayed up now. How in the world do you get prayed up? How can you do that? That's a silly statement. Get prayed up. I just need Jesus to help me up. And so we, we live in this thing that if you don't do this, then God's going to get you. And this vision of adversity, it's not uncommon to God. He, he shows this, his promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Moses and Joshua and David and Jehoshaphat and Isaiah and to Mary. And uh, Can you imagine Mary, her revelation? Oh, by the way, Mary, I'm about to ruin your life. I'm about to ruin your life. And for the rest of your life, no matter what you say about my revelation, people are going to say, yeah, yeah, whatever. And whatever they say, and, and when Jesus comes along and he raises up, they're going to say, isn't that Joseph's quote-unquote kid? Isn't that Joseph's kid? But in the ruining of your life, I'm going to bless your life. And your life is going to ripple out into eternity. And countless people are going to come to me because you have said yes to my revelation. Paul said this. Jesus said this to Paul one night. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. For I am 
with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Now, you look at this passage, and when you will see it in the context of the circumstances, it'll start making sense. Paul knew he was immortal until God was finished with him. And he lived with no fear. This vision in the face of adversity, God wants to give the same thing to you, although it's uncommon. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's for you. Spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, what? I am with you always. Even to win the end of the age. What age? <laughs> For some of you, I'm with you till you're 80, and then I'm, you're going to get to live with me. That's the end of the age. Some of you, it's 90. Some of y'all, it's 100. Some of y'all, it's 53. Some of y'all, it's the end of this age, and the glorious eschaton of Jesus' rule is entered in. But no matter what length of time, he is with you. He is with me. He's with us. These verses are not just promises to listen to, but they are certainties on which to build your life. These are certainties on which to build your life. Jesus is with us. Listen to what the angel said to Joseph. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, what is that? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because this is true, because this is true, how can we live in confidence of this uncommon revelation? How can we be more than conquerors through Christ who loves us? How can we overcome how can we do that? Well, the answers are found in this verse, these verses. Are, are y'all ready to find them? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say this morning. And I pray that you speak through me. That it will not be my words or my pattern of thought, but your truth that transcends my nonsense and speaks to your people in a way that they can hear and be changed. Father, change my heart today through the revelation of your word. And I pray this in your strong name. Amen. Do you know you need people in your life? We are taught so often in, in Protestantism that we, leave, we live an individualized relationship with God. We have a personal faith in God. We have a personal relationship with God. And that's true. That you have to have a personal encounter with God. You can't get this corporately. You have to do it personally. But that personal relationship with God is played out in biblical community. You need people. And you do not need to be isolated. In fact, if you are isolated, uh, your health deteriorates, your mental health deteriorates, your physical health deteriorates, uh, that you, you feel the, the pains of loneliness. And some of you understand that. Some of you are part of the church family because you don't have a family. 
And so what does God say? This is what he says in Psalms. He takes the lonely and he puts them in the family. That's what he does. Some kid talked to me the other day. He's from the Gary Job Corps. He said, hey, pastor, have you thought about getting families to adopt us at Gary Job Corps? And I said, I'll tell you what we'll do. Won't we just adopt all of y'all and won't we just all be a big family? He goes, that's a great idea. That's what we're supposed to be, right? You're my brother. You're my sister. We're in this together because Jesus is our father. God's our father. Then we're in this together. You need people. And revelation of God's goodness often comes through people. Paul never went anywhere except for one place without his peeps. And this place was Corinth. Let me read. After Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, he found a Jewish, a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus. Now, he had with him Timothy and Silas, but he left them. He left them up in Philippi. He went down to Athens. He spoke in Athens, and he got to Corinth. Chuck Swindoll, who's one of my favorite authors and pastors, he said that Paul entered into Corinth with great fear and trembling. Paul entered into Corinth weakened in his faith. And because Corinth was the Las Vegas of the ancient world, debauchery reigned. Listen to me. In Corinth, they worshiped the, the sex goddess, Aphrodite. And every evening, over a thousand temple prostitutes would descend upon the city in order to engage men in acts of worship, quote unquote, through sexual relations. And they did this every day. Can you imagine the temptation? You don't have to answer that out loud. Just be still right now. Yeah. That's amazing. And Paul found himself in this. But Paul knew that isolation was a recipe for disaster. So he found a Jew named Aquila. Let me, let me read on. Uh, a native of Pontus recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And you'll see Aquila and Priscilla uh, come to the forefront a lot of places in Paul's writing. Uh, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Claudius was persecuting the Jews, and he, he, he kicked them all out of Rome. And he, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews of the Greeks, tried to persuade them about, about the resurrection of Christ, about Christ being Messiah. Paul had a rough go in Philippi. He was beaten, he was harassed, he faced resistance, and he needed a group of friends to stand with him, and so do you, and so do you. Why do we talk about being connected in a group? Because you need a group of friends around you. You need to find out you're not the most crazy person in the room. Y'all get what I'm saying? You need to find out that other people have the same struggles as you do. You need to find out that you're not as isolated as you think you are. And you don't just need the pontification of, of a teacher, but you need the love of people who live in community with you so that we can bear one another's burdens. How can we fulfill the one another's of God's word if we're not connected? And connected not casually, not superficially, not programmatically, but connected intentionally and relationally and biblically. We need to be connected. Paul knew this. Paul knew the importance of a ministry team. 
We talk about this all the time around here. You need a team. You need a group to encourage you. You need a ministry team to serve. You need to be connected. You need to be serving. Why? Because when you're connected and you're serving, you're going to grow to be like Jesus. And as you grow to be like Jesus, you're going to share the love of Jesus in word and deed. Connected, growing, serving, and sharing is not a mantra we spew out, but a philosophy that we live by. It's intentional. It's intentional. Corinth was a corrupt city. And in certain situations, the isolation was a spiritual pathway of defeat. And Paul knew this. Evil grows best in the dark. Salsa gets mold on it in the back of the refrigerator. You've got to have that people with you. Why? I have blind spots. You have blind spots. I don't see but others can. And in love and encouragement and accountability, that's two-way street, that we can find this peace of God and the revelation of God. You know, there's some things in my life that I never knew I had until somebody said, Scott, you've got that gift. I see that in you. I see that in you. I started singing in church, and the professor of our local college turns around and goes, you've got an incredible gift. You need to develop that gift. And I thought, nobody's ever said that to me. And I went and auditioned at Florida State, one of the most prestigious schools of music in the United States, and they accepted me to the highest level of, of, of the music degree there. I wouldn't have known. Unless this college professor turned around and said, hey, man, you could sing. When I called my father, and I said, I was 33, I called my dad, I said, Dad, I think that... Um, God wants me to, to be a preacher and to leave music. My mother, I could hear going, oh, anybody could preach. Why would you want to preach? She gave me a plaque once said, when preachers go to heaven, they, they're out of a job and singers keep working forever, I thought. Really? Really, mama? You know what my daddy said? He said, I've always seen the leader in you. You need to do what God wants you to do. My brother Stan said the same thing to me. He said, when I called him and said, I think God wants me to preach, Stan said, I'm not surprised. He said, there ain't nothing worse than a preaching singer unless it's a singing preacher. <laughs> and he's one of them too, by the way, yeah. So you see, you need people to see you and to know you. You need family. You need community. You need a group. You need a group. So expect adversity. We've sang about that today. We've sung about overcoming, and we're going to sing it louder because we're going to let our praises roar because God is for us and not against us. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was, was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And this is just a dramatic uh, Jewish thing. They'd kick the dust off their feet. He'd check out his clothes and say, I'm done with y'all. I'm done with y'all. And I'm going on to someplace else that can hear me and listen to me. I'm done with y'all. Y'all ever had anybody do that to you? Yeah, you have. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus. Gangus Titus Justus was his full name, a Roman citizen. You'll see him mentioned again in Scripture, Gangus Titus Justus. He was a worshiper of a God, and his house was next door to the synagogue. So he just went next door. 
and he was welcomed there. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, or oikos, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So Paul's saying, you people are resisting God. I'm done with you. And he goes next door. Crispus, the head of the synagogue, said, I'm going with Paul. I'm going with Paul. He gets saved. His whole family gets saved. People say, Chris is getting saved. I ought to get saved too. And so many got, God started moving. And the people in the synagogue, the Jews, were left out. Why? Stiff-necked. Stubborn. Willful. We ain't never done it that way before, Paul. You coming here messing with our traditions, Paul? Paul said, I'm done with you. And he went and started the church over at at Titus Justice's house. You see, when God is moving, Satan is aware. He's going to move too. You know what Satan loves to do? This is what Satan loves to do. He loves to take his broadsword, big old broadsword, and he sharpens this edge of doubt. Then he takes the other side and he sharpens this edge of discouragement. So he takes doubt and discouragement and he sharpens it. Then he comes after you and he whacks you in the head with it. And you start doubting whether or not it's really God. And you start getting discouraged. That's why Paul said, hey, 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 put on the helmet of salvation because Satan is going to take his sword and try to whack you in the head. He also wrote, I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Boom. You see, when God starts moving, Satan starts discouraging and starts creating doubt. And I've watched it in individuals' lives. Y'all, I've watched it in the church where they start becoming doubtful and discouraging and God is moving and people are being saved and people come to the Lord and people say, well, I don't know about that. Well, I just don't know about that. Really? Really? Somebody asked me the other day, said, now, you're up there in Wimberley. I said, yeah. I said, Wimberley's a little town. I said, yeah. You know, just Wood Creek and Wimberley, about 4,000 people around, you know, so there's all kinds of people out in the woods. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe 400 million. Who knows? And they're all coming from Austin and Houston here, Right? Some of y'all vacated the wilds of Houston and settled in the paradise of Wimberley, right? Don't you mess it up now. Okay, anyway. They said, how do you explain that your church has grown like it's grown? I said, I don't know. What? I don't know. He said, I said, I don't know. There's things we're doing that are biblical and timeless. God honors those. I'm not the best preacher in the world. He said, well, that's true. I don't know. Maybe there's things about God that we don't need to know. And he just does it. Right? I don't get it. But you know, it's not my business to get it. My business is to trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than do what? Trust and obey. So when God moves like this, I have to realize that Satan is moving as well. 
Now, I wrote this down. I want you to kind of get this. Something I teach in leadership. Beware of the law of the 2%. What? 2%. You see, 2% of the people in any organization, whether it be your business, whether it be your school, whether it be your church, whether it be your family, 2% are going to resist anything you do and try hard to make it undone. Did you know that? 2%. And usually, Bill Heibel said this, usually in whatever size church, there's eight people, messengers of Satan, who are going to try to aggravate the preacher to death. So he said there's eight. That's what Bill Heibel said. And sometimes I think it's more than eight because they, they, they have offspring. <laughs> but eight. He said that the object is to is identify the eight and make sure they do not have influence over the rest of them. Yogi Berra said this, keep the people who hate your guts away from the people who haven't decided yet. <laughs> That's just good leadership, isn't it? Yeah, to identify them. So when I think about the law of the 2%, I say, I got to let God deal with them. Paul shook the dust off. He said, I'm done. Because the 2% in Corinth, listen to this, the 2 percenters in Corinth destined thousands to a devil's hell. That's how important it is. You see, the evidence of God's movement is always life change. Crispus comes to the Lord. Genghis, Titus, Justice, Justice Titus comes to the Lord. The household comes to the Lord. Many other believers come to the Lord. See, Paul then makes a decision that I'm going to move with the movers, not trying to persuade the ones who don't want to go. Now, I wrote this and I want to read it because it's a little bit complicated because we're getting into the doctrine of election. Some of y'all are kind of going, oh, good, we're going to talk about some theology. You just hang on, okay? God in his sovereignty knows who is elected in Christ to come to Christ. God knows who's going to believe and who's not going to believe. He knows that. Would y'all agree with that? God knows. He knows. We don't. God does. Paul knew his responsibility was to preach Christ and let God save souls. That's what he knew. Ours is the same. God knows who will be saved, and he's willing that all be saved. We should proclaim the gospel knowing God is all-knowing and is able to save anyone who calls upon his name. I am not responsible for your salvation. God is, and you are. If you want to put a, a label on it, that's called Amaraldianism. You can look that up later, okay? It's not Calvinism, it's not Armenianism, it's Amaraldianism. And it's called biblical, the biblical view of election. There's a few other people who I sort of respect who held this view. A guy like Charles Haddon Spurgeon and others. But we ain't got time for that. God gives his uncommon revelation to us. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, this is what I read earlier, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Even after all this adversity, he shook the dust off himself. He said, I'm done with this. He's gone to Genghis, uh, just, uh, whatever his name is, Titus Justice. 
that he's or Justice Titus or somebody, that Roman dude that lived next door to the synagogue. He w- went over there. They started this church, and he was experiencing experienced all this adversity. He could have said, I'm done. I'm, I'm going back to Ephesus. I'm going back to Philippi. I'm going back to Thyatira. Th- I'm, 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 I'm out. I'm done. I'm done. Paul, God said, no, you're not, Paul. Hitch up your britches. Stay here among the Corinthian churches and do something great here. This is the third revelation of Paul. God's revelation is always to comfort us and to strengthen us. Always. When God gives us a revelation. Now, here's something I want you to hold on to because this is so important. God's revelation will always line up with Scripture. Always line up with Scripture. Listen to what Isaiah said. Did y'all know that Paul had the whole book of Isaiah memorized? Actually, Paul had the whole Old Testament memorized. That's how brilliant he was. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Have you not heard? Our God is a limited, unlimited supply of strength. If you need some, ask him and wait on him, and he's going to renew you, renew you. Paul needed courage and confidence to complete his commitment, and so do you. You need this. If there's no revelation, if God's not speaking to you, if you're not hearing from God, what in the world should you do? Be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes you're running your mouth so hard in prayer, God can't speak to you. Have y'all ever had a one-sided conversation? I've heard people that could talk for 30 minutes without breathing. And they just talk and 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 you're trying to you're sitting there trying to get a word in edge like And that's how often we always got God show me, show me what to do, show me. And God said, if you'll shut up, I'll show you. Just just like chill out. Listen to me. Look at the revelation in my word around you. Maybe today is the day you're going to get the revelation you've been seeking. Be still and know that I'm God. Now, there's two reasons God's silent, and I want to give them to you. First reason God's silent, because you have habitual sin you need to confess. You're not going to lose your salvation. He's going to hold you. You're secure. But your sinfulness will bar you from hearing from God. The second thing, he's about to reveal himself in a way you've never believed or seen before, so be still and let him show you. That is hugely important. Now, the question I ask you often is this. What would you do for God if you knew it was him who asked? What would you do? Okay, listen to me, beloved. God is not going to give you a new revelation until you obey your current revelation. Oh. You mean until I'm connected and growing and serving and sharing, I may not hear from God about the next? Could be. When I'm not giving of my resources for King Jesus and I'm depending upon my own resources and I'm not responding biblically in stewardship, 
I, I may not hear from God. Yeah. When I'm stiff-necked and complaining and everything's about me and I'm a selfish brat, I may not hear from God. Could be. Could be. When I'm being willfully disobedient and living in the secret sin, does that bar me from God? <laughs> Doesn't bar you from his love. It sure might bar you from you hearing from him. Oh. So what would I do for God if I knew it was him who asked? Maybe I need to do what I should be doing. To quote the greatest theologian I've ever met, my wife Tara, what are you doing? What should you be doing? You see, everything you ever needed to know, a kindergarten teacher could teach you that. Did you know that? What are you doing? What should you be doing? Last night, I was reclined in my recliner. I have an electric recliner. I'm so lazy, I don't even want to push the lever. I just push a button. And I'm watching college football. Bless God. Them nasty gators and them nasty hurricanes are playing, and I don't want either one of them to win. But I'd rather the Russians win than the gators, so I'm watching it. And Tara says, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching football. What should you be doing? I said, watching football. I'm in perfect obedience to the will of God right now. <laughs> she wanted me to go clean out the pool, but I wanted to watch football. Do you see what I'm saying? We have to say yes to Jesus. We have to move in obedience. Don't live with the future revelation in mind. Live with the current obedience in mind, despite the adversity. You see, how you respond to God really reveals your devotion. Now, I wrote this this morning as I was kind of working through my talk again, and I wrote this down. I, I want to kind of expand on it, but I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to do it quickly. Many of us look for a fortune cookie type of revelation. We treat Scripture like a fortune cookie. We crack it open, and we pull out things. What does it say? You're going to meet new friends and influence everybody. Throw it away. You crack it open, and what does it say? Somebody is very interested in you. Throw it away. Crack it open. Your lotto numbers are blah, 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 blah. Really? But that's how we kind of live our life. We want to crack it open. And we, we want to kind of open and see what we find. More often than not, revelation about God is usually based on those things I said earlier. Conviction, direction, or comfort. He wants to convict you of sin, give you direction for your life, or comfort you. And this is what Paul did. You know what Paul did? He stayed the course. He was obedient. That's what he did. He said yes. God, is always, God always has the last word. Now listen to how this ends. This is awesome. And when Gallio, the proconsul of Acacia, the, Jew, the Jews, uh, but when Gallio, the proconsul of Acacia, the Jews made an united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribune saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, hey, if this was a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would, have, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of question about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribune, tribunal. And then they seized Susias, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribune. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. He said, I'm out. Y'all beat him all you want to. I'm leaving. Now, I look at this, and this is amazing. 
Paul was facing this huge adversity. I'm sure Paul was thinking, here we go again. Another Philippi. I'm going to get beat and thrown in prison. All right, let's go. Another place in Turkey where they stoned me and left me for dead. All right, let's go. Another Antioch, they're going to lower me down. Excuse me, another Damascus, they're going to have to lower me down out of a basket so they don't kill me. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go again. And then God uses a heathen to stop it. And Paul's going, what? You stop at this? And here's the lesson I wrote down. Let God fight your battles. At the end of September, I'm, we're having, hosting a conference here with pastors. And y'all, it's gaining momentum, momentum. We might have a couple of hundred pastors here for a training, which is kind of exciting. I won't need your help, by the way. And it's gaining momentum. You know what I'm going to tell them? Let God do this. Don't try to be cute and persuasive or find a business model. Let God build his church the way God builds his church. Let him do it. Let God take care of your enemies. He's he's big. He's strong. He's powerful. He can do it. You know what I've discovered about God defeating your enemies? He often gathers up a platoon of other believers and says, hey, you boys, go whip that one. Go correct that one. You know, my servant here is being tormented, so I want you to be the protector and, and go, go take care of that. You see, God uses people to fight his battles. You have to be faithful. Paul had all types of experiences, and he stayed faithful. The circumstances of your life do not define you. The Lord of your life defines you. The circumstances of your life do not define you. Who defines you? Who is the Lord of your life? I am so glad Dr. Luke added that little piece about Susaius getting whooped in front of the council because it gives me hope and confidence that God could take even pagan things like the government and use it for his glory. So never doubt in the dark what God has revealed to you in the light. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will hold you with my righteous right hand. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now here's the question. Who is the Lord of your life? Who is it? Is the Lord of your life a denominational affiliation? Good luck with that. Is the Lord of your life your bank account? Better luck with that. Is the Lord of your life the opinion of those around you? I hope not. Is the Lord of your life King Jesus? Have you not heard? Have you not seen the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth? Is that who it is? Then if that is who it is, get this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound If the Lord is the Lord of your life, then live all for Jesus.